Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And this week, we are bringing you another theme, and we went with a summer. We looked up some summer cases. We're feeling the summertime vibes over here in Michigan. Yeah. Not that the weather's really cooperated. No. And it's crappy again today, but still. We, we want to keep those summer vibes going we for do. a while. So we are bringing you two cases under the theme of Thou Shall Not Yop. I love it. Because these poor people. Just wanted to enjoy their yacht. Yes. If you're ever, you know, rainy day and thinking like, I want a little excitement in my life. Look up boat cases. There are some scandalous things I that have happened. I was shocked. It, but at the same token, it's kind of like, yeah, that's kind of the perfect crime, huh? A lot of drama going on. I know. In, I know. In the sea life. It, um, there really is. It's, we might have to do a yacht not part two because uh, there's a lot there's of There's so many good cases for it. Yeah. Uh, today's going to be my case. And I'm bringing you the case of the Duperalt family. Okay. It was uh, all the headlines in 1961. So this is a big deal. Yeah, this was a huge deal. And it did involve a yacht. Let's get into it, shall we? I'm going to talk to you about Mr. Arthur Duperalt. He was born and bred in Lockwood, Wisconsin. He developed a love for tropical waters because he was in the Navy in the South Pacific during World War II. Oh, He's okay. a veteran. Mm-hmm. So he loved loved the sea. Yeah, he in the Navy is where he fell in love with, with the sea. Um, in the years after he was discharged from the Navy, he started to build a really good reputation for himself as an optometrist. Oh, And he nice. was actually one of Green Bay's leading optometrists. So he's a successful man. He is. He is. And he's got a beautiful family. And, you know, he decided, you know what? I'm going to enjoy life. And I would like to take my family on an island hopping cruise in the Bahamas. Why couldn't my my dad have said that? I know. For us, you know? Right. Like, my family deserves a Bahamas cruise. Yeah, I'm going to take them to tropical places. Yeah. So that's a good dad right there. Yes. And, And what he did was he's like, well, the joys of owning your own medical practice, I'm sure, is that... Yeah, that's the one thing we didn't have going on. My dad didn't own a medical practice. My dad was a farmer. We couldn't go anywhere (laughs) because who's going to feed the livestock? (laughs) Yep, yep, I get it. So he decides, I'm going to make arrangements and take an extended leave from my practice and pack my family up, and we are going to head down to Florida. He goes down with his wife, Jean, and their three beautiful children, 14-year-old Brian, 11-year-old Terry Joe and seven-year-old Renee. So we have a beautiful family of five mm-hmm. just going to Florida. Now, their initial plan is that they're just going to buy a boat when they get down there and then sail away. Oh, wow. So they were they didn't have a boat in mind yet. No, they didn't have one, but I don't know. Oh, how you've exciting. Ever, if you've ever been to Florida, Lots it's not hard boats. to find a boat <laughs> to buy. Yep. And so he, I loved this quote from, the, there is a book that I will reference later uh, that's a great read. Actually, I can tell you what it's called now. Sorry. There is a book called Psycho USA, Famous American Killers That You Never Heard Of by Harold uh, 
Schutcher, and that's where a lot of the information is coming from today. And I loved how he said this. Their initial plan was to go vagabonding in southern waters. How exciting. I love that word. Yeah, that's a good one. So excited that I had the opportunity to use it on the podcast. We'll save it for another one, too, I, I feel like. Yeah, it's, it's now got a good a, one. this point forward, we've got a vagabond. It's, it's in the Crime Curious uh, word bank it now. Is. <laughs> Unfortunately, they could not find a suitable vessel for their trip oh. to buy, to purchase, for their family of five, because they need bedrooms. They're going to go for quite some time. So they need bedrooms and a kitchen and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they decide to charter one instead. And they went to Fort Lauderdale's Baja Mar Yacht Basin, and they found exactly what they were looking for. A sleek, sexy, 60-foot, two-mast catch called Blue Bell. I was just going to say, what was her name? Mm, I need to know. Blue Bell. That's it sounds delicious. Yes, yes, it Very is. Lovely. It's sexy and it's also skippered by a sexy 44-year-old man named Julian Harvey. He lived aboard the Bluebell with his wife of 4 months and former TWA stewardess stewardess stewardess. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) It's a tough one. Yes. It's not, but for some (laughs) reason I made it very complicated. Her name was Mary Denae. When I say he was sexy 44-year-old, this Julian Harvey was where it's at. He's got the curly dark hair. Mm. He is obsessed with bodybuilding. So he's sculpted. He's over six foot. He... Is a he former, sounds like a dream. Oh, he is like David Hasselhoff. Oh, from Baywatch. Okay, y'all know. Yeah, I dated myself there, but he—he's the Hoff, right down to the curly brown hair. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Now Harvey himself is a former military man. Like now, they called uh, Mr. Duperalt Doc. So he's Doc Duperalt. He was. Julian Harvey was an absolute bona fide war hero. He was a decorated bomber pilot from World War II. So him and Doc really hit it off. They had had a lot in common. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He also was in the Korean War. He was a highly experienced sailor and a former owner of a number of racing yachts, which I didn't even know that there were racing yachts. I mean, I know there were boat races, but I never considered that some of them were yachts, I guess. Everything about him just spewed confidence. Seeping from his pores. Yes, Julian Harvey. So when you see him skippering this beautiful bluebell charter boat, you're like, absolutely, dreams do come true. Yeah, this is what dreams are made of. Here we are. My beautiful family is going to board this ship. So like I was saying, everything about him inspired confidence. I'm just picturing like a light shining down upon him because he's just... Basically. Just glorious. He is. His life story... It's like things that a Hollywood script is made out of. Mm. I'm going to tell you about it now because it's like, hmm, is a good, that's a good way to start all of this. Because once you read, once I tell you about his life story, you're going to be like, oh, is that improbable or was it set up that way? Like, what? Things are not adding up in Julian Harvey's history of his 44 years. Is this his life story through his words like is this what he's saying nope this is all document I'll get to it oh okay yeah yeah he never knew his biological father his father left his mother his mother was a beautiful Broadway chorus girl and when Julian was an infant his father had left a few years later she married a man who basically indulged Julian Harvey's every 
wish and desire as a child. And he even bought him a sailboat for his 10th birthday, which started his lifelong love of sailing. Now, at this point in time, think about what's going on in the world. He was living as a young boy through the depression, but he never really felt the effects of the depression because his mom had married such a wealthy man mm-hmm. and so they did all right and his, he was still able to able to be pampered with the life that he had grown accustomed to even after the 1929 crash now he was scrawny as a child so as an adolescent he threw himself into bodybuilding becoming a fitness fanatic like way before it became a huge thing here in america he oh, was quite okay. obsessed with it before it like before became it was a thing. Before David David Hasselhoff was on the front cover of People magazine gotcha. all the time. Yeah, so he was like the original David Hasselhoff. Yes, before. he he was he okay. was. By the time he reached adolescence, he had developed a splendid physique. He obsessively maintained it throughout his life and never ever was tired of flaunting it. I love that splendid physique. Splendid I'm going to start physique. describing myself that way. Like my physique is splendid. splendid. <laughs> we should all have such good descriptors for ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. His face was ruggedly handsome and framed by his curls. And they matched the beauty of his body. For a while, he worked as a male model for the famed John Roberts Powers Agency. This man had it all. I'm picturing like when you met him, his hair's like blowing in the wind. And yes. He's like, and he's in, he was Aww. always in a skimpy bathing suit. Like he's wearing a banana hammock. Okay. okay. Folks. All right. We've <laughs> got our. in the back. Probably. Yes, probably. We have got ourselves a hardcore banana hammock. He is probably like, I'm, I'm going to bless the world yes. with all of my goods. Here I am. See. Mm-hmm. see all of this. He's peacocked out with his chest. <laughs> Just displaying leg extended like pointed toe yeah as a matter of fact there are still photos that have survived of him being a male model in his skimpy banana hammock i'm gonna need to see Mm -hmm. one of these it was around this time that he first manifested that he was when he was a model a tendency that would remain a grimly reoccurrent feature of his life there was a strange affinity for accidents as some put it. His first was that he was behind the wheel of his first car, a Model A, a Model A Ford convertible. Mm-hmm. When a wheel came off, he and his passenger, a male friend, managed managed to leap to safety as the car spun out of control and flipped over. So that's incident number one. Okay. After a few years in college that didn't go well for him, he enlisted. All beauty, no brains. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> We can't have all it all. All beauty and banana hammock, we, no brains. We can't have it all. Right. He enlisted in the Air Corps in 1941 and quickly distinguished himself as a wartime hero. He flew more than 30 combat missions as a bomber pilot, surviving two crash landings. By the fall of 1944, he had won a chest full of medals including the distinguished flying cross he was he was taken from lieutenant to lieutenant colonel and had been chosen to pilot the plane in a death-defying test involving the deliberate ditching of a b-24 bomber in virginia's james river a feat that won him another major decoration the air medal you know you're right this sounds like i'm watching a documentary or something on someone's life it's i mean he's the things that he I think he's 100% addicted to adrenaline. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to survive all of these plane, like, first of all, two crash landings, but then to volunteer to do over 30 bombing missions, 
Like he, I mean, a lot of people are like, okay, there is no doubting that you are one badass mm-hmm. mofo. You are so cool. You oh, are so sure. courageous. Oh, and gorgeous, obviously. And beautiful. All that's missing is a pack of Joe Cools rolled up into the, his shirt sleeves mm. from the era, mm-hmm. you know, smoking a Marlboro. I'm just going to assume there was one. Yeah. Yes. At like, this point. Like everyone was just like, look at this fine specimen that's been touched by the angels and given the cor- the courage of Hercules. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Not everybody gets to say like, yeah, I was a model to start and then I was this, you know. Yep. Yeah. Badass. I went from modeling to college, two years of college that didn't really go anywhere. That we don't so talk then, about. Yeah. Then- so I just enlisted yeah. in into, Yeah. Exactly. I probably do not have to tell you after all the descriptors how irresistible he was to women. I think that's a given at this point. However, he's not real great about keeping them. Mm. He had actually, remember how at the beginning of this story, he was living on the Bluebell with Mary Denae? Yes. He had five wives before Mary Denae. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he really wasn't good at that uh, commitment piece? No, re- commitments and relationships, not as strong suit, mm-hmm. not as strong as his biceps and his triceps. Yeah. Well, when you have a, a splendid physique, the world needs a piece of that. That's not just one. I'm pretty sure he thought the I can, world. It's a shame to just share it with yes. one woman. I'm I'm doing no service to the world. That's to right. Not share this. If with, I'm with not everyone. sharing this, none of his marriages lasted very long, and one of them ended under deeply suspicious circumstances that would come to seem even more ominous. After, in light of how things come come out. Okay. On the evening of April 21st, 1949, Julian Harvey, he, at this point in time, was residing at the Eglin Air Force Base near Valparaiso, Florida. He was driving home from the movies with his third wife, Joanne, and his mother-in-law, Mrs. Myrtle Boylan, as they crossed an old wooden bridge, bridge over a bayou. The car went into a skid, crashed through the railing, and plunged into the murky waters. Both women drowned in the submerged car, but Harvey escaped without a scratch. He later told investigators that he had seen, quote, the accident coming, and at the last minute, I opened the door and was thrown free, So this quote. was another accident. Mm-hmm. The professional diver went down to retrieve the bodies, however, found all four doors locked and the driver's window rolled down suggesting a very different scenario, that Julian Harvey had gone down into the water along with Joanne and her mother, then opened his window and escaped, leaving the two women to drown. Joanne's father was convinced that Harvey's story was full of holes and made was made deeply suspicious of his son-in-law's weirdly blasé reaction to Joanne's death. I'm suspicious already because we have this person that's a essentially a badass, like superhuman. Mm-hmm. And I, now I'm like, did he plan this because he knew he could get out of it and they couldn't? Right. I don't know. Well, that's where the father-in-law, was, Mr. Boylan, was like, excuse me, but I want an official investigation. One military doctor who interviewed Julian Harvey during this period concluded, quote, that underneath his veneer of charm and sophistication was a amoral man with no real empathy for others, a man who could be dangerous, end quote. Still, the authorities could not find any hard evidence of any criminal action against Harvey, so the matter was dropped. It wasn't looked into any further. So his third wife dies under this mysterious circumstances. Okay. A few months later, after collecting his wife's life insurance policy. Oh, oh there it is. Yep. <laughs> Whoop. <laughs> there it is. 
Julian Harvey was married again. So just a Wouldn't few you know months it. later. This time to We young, all grieve in different ways. Yes, by just going right out and scooping up us another little honey. Mm-hmm. This time he got a young Texas businesswoman named Jitty. And if you no, don't... Yes, stop. Jitty, sign Jitty. me up. If you don't start calling me Jitty from now on, I'll be very oh, disappointed. it is official. I didn't Jitty. even know that could be a name. Me that neither. incredible. But I love it. So here they are, Julian Harvey and now Jitty Harvey. Okay. I, I would have had to been like, I'll marry you, but we got to change the name. And you can't even abbreviate it. What are you going to call her? Jit? Yeah, right. And it's J-I-T-T-Y, so maybe she could be Ty. Maybe. T-Y, but There's not Jitty. much to work with there. I want to know what her middle name is. I do too. <laughs> Their marriage, they were married. He was married to Jitty for three years. However, which might seem like a long time for this dude. But I'm proud of him at this point. Well, they virtually saw nothing of each other during that time. Because just three months after their wedding, he was sent to Korea. Remember he said he was in World War II and the Korean War? Mm -hmm. Where he flew for another 114 combat missions and added a bunch of decorations to his already impressive collection. Uh So he goes and just does the damn thing in World War II. Now here he is again coming in like Captain Freaking America in world into in the Korean War world. Let me wow, sorry. I fumbled through that, but y'all know what I'm trying to say. So, <laughs> so this was clearly like his he like you said, he was addicted to the adrenaline. I think so, don't you? I mean I think so. hundred and fourteen combat missions. Yeah. And survives them all and Then he returns to the States in 1953, where he and Jitty are promptly divorced. Mm. So Jitty is no more. So the marriage wasn't really anything. He just married her quickly. He married her three months after the mysterious death of his third wife. Marries Jitty three months later, leaves for the Korean War, comes back three years later, and they're promptly divorced. Jitty's like, I'm done. Right. But within a year, he marries his fifth wife, Georgiana. Georgiana. I'm liking these names. Mm -hmm. By then, he had left the military and was fulfilling a long-cherished dream. He had purchased a 68-foot um, yowl, the Torbatross, Torbatross. Less than a year later, with Harvey at the helm, the Torbatross sank in the Chesapeake Bay after ramming into the submerged wreckage of an old World War I battleship the USS Texas that had been bombed in 1921 during a historic demonstration of military air power. Interesting. Mm -hmm. There were strong indications that the collision was no accident. It almost sounds like he just likes to create these like chaotic situations or something. Yep. Now the USS Texas ship that was there, it was a notorious navigational hazard marked by a by, by a buoy and its exact location was known invisible. Known and visible. And visible, okay. So everyone's like, "Hold on, this is like an, a, a historic landmark." It's okay? not something you would accidentally buoys. hit. No, not at all. Not like, like oops. It's I wasn't well watching. known that this big ship that had, you know, had went down, had been air bombed was, was here. There. Yep, exactly. Several witnesses testified that Harvey had, quote, deliberately circled the wreck twice before he ran his boat into it. Despite the suspicious nature of the incident, Harvey eventually won a settlement of 14258 which is around $112,000 today. So he won. From the U.S. government. 
Yep. Wow. Did people just look at this man, like, even though he was all sorts of shady, but he'd just be like, you know what? He was charming and charismatic. Yeah. And, and there's like, a fan perpetual, like, this wind just perpetually blowing his locks. <laughs> yeah. He's Somebody got, follows him with the with the fan to, like, wind him Yes. He always has a perfect tan. And his quaff is perfect. He looks into your eyes and you're just like. Hypnotized. Yep. You win. That's, you can have it all. Yes. Here's my panties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is what happened. I think that's what's going on here. So not only does he win this settlement. So he won this settlement and it was suspected all along that he was purposely crashing this vessel to get the insurance money. I mean, it sounds like he's getting away with things that he's not even doing a good job of. Right. Like, really. Essentially. It doesn't. But they just don't have enough evidence <laughs> right. to actually incriminate him. Like he's not doing a great job of making it look like it wasn't an right. intentional thing. But people are still like, well, you're beautiful. Right. So here's, here's like, the and you're money. a decorated war veteran of two wars. Yeah. So how could, you know, who are we to say that you were doing this that's the thing i mean shadiness aside it's like he does have this incredible he does military where he probably saved a lot of lives mm -hmm. but at the same token probably took a lot of lives so i mean yeah there's that balance he used the money to buy another boat an 81 foot luxury yowl called the vigilant in 1958 in the midst of an ugly alimony fight with georgiana who was suing him for divorce on the grounds of extreme mental cruelty he was capped being the captain of the Vigilant in the Gulf of Mexico when the boat mysteriously caught fire and sank. Once again, Harvey escaped unscathed, and this time he collected $40,000 on the insurance, a sum that conveniently saved him from the financial difficulties he was having at that time. He has collected so much insurance money. Right. This is now the third time. Like how much? A settlement... In two insurance claims. Like how much more can this man get without somebody being like. And why are you having financial, so much financial difficulties, sir? Yeah, what are you doing? You had the life insurance from your third wife, $112,000 from the settlement, $40,000 from this. Like he's just out vagabonding, I guess. That's that's the life he lives. By 1961, he had taken into making his livelihood by skippering boats for charter parties. In the summer of that year, he entered into an arrangement with a Hollywood, Florida swimming pool contractor named Harold Harold Pegg, who was the owner of the Bluebell. What is skippering? It sounds delightful. Skippering, driving the boats. Oh, he's the captain. Oh, the skip. Okay, yeah, he's the captain of the boat. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Harvey and his sixth wife, Mary Denae, whom he had just wed, would live aboard the boat and crew it for chartered trips on a salary. So this this dude, Harold Pegg, was like, yeah, I'm the owner of the Bluebell, mm-hmm. but if you would like to be the, its captain and take people out and about, charter their, you know, you be their the captain while they chatter their, charter oh, their fun. tours and whatnot, you have a, a year-round salary and a place to live. You and your wife can live right on the boat. That sounds like a pretty good Some, setup. That would be an amazing yeah. life. Can I mean, really. I mean, I'll I drive know. a boat. We have to bring our kids, so with... Yeah. Now we're looking into homeschooling. Yeah, there is boat that. schooling. Yes, <laughs> boat schooling. But you know, my kids are actually really avid fishermen. I think they could be wonderful working with the clients, showing them how to catch fish and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We can, let's talk after we're done recording. I think we All could right, really we'll set up plans. a different life for ourselves. Mine would be like the manager of the operation because he likes to, you know. Oh, he would. Like we need boss, his like, brains. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we need him to keep everyone in line. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep. Uh, there's a space. There's a, a, a position for everyone. Yep. Yep. 
you like to cook, so oh my gosh, I could you do can the do meals. that. I really am only picturing myself sunbathing. I'm not certain <laughs> what my position is, but we're gonna need somebody else to drive it. Yeah, we'll be doing my other husband things. can do that. He drives boats. Yeah, Perfect. it's fine. A We've plan is it. made. It was wow. You heard it's it here first. It's been a pleasure doing crime serious <laughs> with you all. <laughs> but now this we must sail away. <laughs> right in the middle of our yacht yep. not. <laughs> week <laughs> oh shit so oh. so here they go this is this is what they're they're doing he's got his new wife now not long after this happens the bluebell was chartered by the duperalt family and on wednesday morning november 8th 1961 it set sail from fort lauderdale for a week's cruise in the bahamas so here they are november 8th day after my birthday oh Okay. 1961, though, so long before. Before you were. Right, right, right. Um, They set sail, and five days later, on Monday, November 13th, a lookout on the Gulf Lion, which was an oil tanker bound for Puerto Rico, spotted a small wooden lifeboat drifting in the open sea. On board of the dinghy was a vigorous Julian Harvey and the corpse of a little girl in an oversized life jacket who turned out to be seven-year-old Renee Duperalt. Wait, what? Rescued by the tanker, Harvey spilled out what Time magazine called, quote, a tale of flaming horror. He, as as he boarded, got pulled up to the tanker, he told them that the previous night, he claimed that the bluebell had encountered a sudden tropical squall at around 11 p.m. A powerful gust snapped the main mast in two. So a 50-foot part of the mast came hurtling down piercing the deck and rupturing the fuel lines, which burst into flame. So if you can picture that, you know what a mast pictures. Mm -hmm. So this tropical squall comes, breaks the mast in half, and it falls straight down and pierces the deck and happens to pierce it right in the spot that's above the oil um, tanks, Mm -hmm. the fuel tanks, excuse me, and goes through all that deck wood pierces it and it suddenly explodes like in a Hollywood dramatic fashion. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and as someone who knows nothing about boats, I'm like, oh, maybe? I don't, I mean, You it's- are the person that sits through all of the Fast and the Furious movies and every time a car spar- spontaneously combusts, you're like, it could it happen. Could happen. Exactly. Other people who know things about cars are like, um, not so much. This is unbelievable, but I get it. It's Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I'll mm-hmm. sit. I'll sit. Watch so, some more Vin Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll take it. Yeah. That's what he. This is what he's saying, and he says that after this, Harvey single-handedly fought the blaze with extinguishers. His wife and their five pal- passengers retreated to the stern. By then, the boat was going down. While the others leapt into the water, Harvey launched the dinghy, dove overboard, hauled himself into the lifeboat, and made a desperate effort to find Mary Denae and the Duperalt family. Shouting himself hoarse in the darkness, no one answered. At last, he came upon the little girl floating face down in the water. Her body was buoyed by the life jacket. He hauled her into the dinghy, but she was already dead. The others had vanished into the sea along with the bluebell. Within 48 hours of his rescue, Harvey was back in Miami where an official Coast Guard investigation was held on November 16th. Now, he was very well dressed for the occasion in an expensive new sports jacket, matching slacks, and open-collared shirt. He was remarkably chipper for a man who had just lost his bride in a her- and been mm-hmm. through a traumatic accident. 
right. Everything's so Hollywood-like with this man. Oh, yes. In During the interrogation, he remained cool and composed, never deviating at all from his original story. There were some highly dubious details in the account. For example, the lighthouse lookout that was nearby was like, yeah, we never saw a ship on fire. Like, that's our job. Mm-hmm. actually yeah. this is what we do and you're saying and this happened at 9 11 p.m i'm curious about the squall too there was never mm, no squall there was no squall okay i'm no, wondering there is like, no squall. what was the squall because it sounds pretty significant right the other thing is is that experienced semen there it is again on crime i Curious, love me some experienced semen. where we talk about semen so we have talked about them quite a bit you know our first episodes were like i had a friend write me once i was like i'll have you know that i'm a semen and i've never murdered anyone I know. We don't want seamen to get a, a bad rap. No, no. But these ex- these experienced seamen were like, um, I'm sorry, but a broken mast could not have punctured a deck in the way that you described. Mm. That did not happen. I'm assuming the yacht sunk. It did. Okay. Yep, it did. And, you know, they're like questioning how this all happened. And even when people were questioning him, he was so cool, calm, and collected and remarkable in his telling of it that in the end, the investigators had no choice but to accept his version versions of events because after all, there were no living witnesses to refute it. Yeah. This is like what is super crazy is that during this press conference, he had just concluded his entire testimony of what happened. He had just handled everyone's disagreements with his recollection with such ease and whatnot. This and this really did happen like in Hollywood fashion. A Coast Guard official bursts into the hearing room with the startling news that a survivor had been plucked from the sea. Wow. Like literally as he's on stage in his fancy suit, looking schwank as hell. Uh-huh. And was just concluding like his, yes, what he'd been through. Yes. And, uh. Yes. This dude busts in like someone busting this up a amazing. wedding. Yeah. Right? And was like we have a survivor. We have a survivor. Did he soil his his fresh Funny that you should say that. His fresh fresh suit. Yeah, his crisp fresh. suit. It's not so crisp anymore. Nope. But what he did do is he stammered, "Oh my god." And it took him several moments to regain his composure. Oh yeah. And said, "You're sweating now, sir." In like a shaky voice was like, "Why? That's wonderful." And then he forced a smile. And without another word, he rose from his chair and hurried out of the room. He'd, he'd soiled himself. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, shit Pardon is me. coming out. Yeah. It's Pardon time. me, I need to use the bathroom. Yep. Now, what had happened was on a Greek freighter, uh, Captain Theo had found her, a little girl perched on a cork life raft floating alone in the vastness of the ocean. Oh, this poor baby. Yes. As the ship drew near, one of the crewmen snapped a photo of the remarkable site, which was published in Life Magazine. It showed, and Life Magazine did like a big, big story on this that they dubbed the Death Ship and the Miraculous Rescue. What a sight to see Oh, in yeah. the middle of the ocean, this little girl. This little girl on this little cork raft. That's It's tiny. It's like five feet oh by, th- you know, three. Like it's it's a tiny little thing. The And actually the picture made her like an international celebrity for a while because it was in Life magazine. I'm going to have to see this photo. I know. I really um, want to look it up too. I hadn't had a chance yet. Hoisted aboard, she was carried into a cabin and gently placed in the bunk. W- what she had been through was a devastating ordeal and it was clear from her condition. She was ama- emaciated, dull-eyed dangerously dehydrated, Mm. and severely sunburned. She barely clung to consciousness as the captain 
piled her with questions. Like, this just hurts me. Yep. She was finally able to rasp out the words before sinking into a coma. The name of the doomed vessel, Bluebell, and her own name, Terry Joe Duperon. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, whenever you say, oh my gosh, I'm always like, yes. Yes. I edit it out a lot. <laughs> it needs to stay yes, this time. <laughs> yes. yes, my child. Yes, my child. Now, a telegraph from the captain said simply this, quote, picked up blonde girl brown eyes from a small white raft suffering exposure and shock, end quote. That brought an immediate response from the Coast Guard. She was helicoptered to Miami's Mercy Hospital, where a huge barrage of newsmen awaited the arrival of the sea waif, as the press quickly dubbed her. I don't like that name. Me neither. For a child who had spent four days adrift without food or water after the annihilation of her entire family, she made a remarkable recovery. By November 20th, Five days after she was plucked barely alive from the water, she was strong enough to undergo a prolonged investigation, like interrogation by the mm. Coast Guard officials. Which, I mean, obviously they they need to know. Yeah, that this yeah. Poor kid. I know, I know. The story that she related, that she relayed, was radically different from the one that you everyone don't had heard. Say from Julian Harvey. Oh yes. I am astonished. So all we know is an explanation from Terry Joe's perspective. Because she's the only survivor. survivor. On the night of the tragedy, Cherry, Terry Joe explained that she had retired to her bunk at about 9 o'clock. Sometime later, she was jolted awake by screaming and stamp, stamping, stomping. She thought it was her brother's voice crying to their father for help. Creeping from her quarters, she saw her mother and brother lying motionless on the floor of the central cabin, blood pooling around their heads. <gasps> oh my gosh. Making her way up the companionway, companionway stairs to the main deck, she saw more blood near the cockpit. No one was in sight. Suddenly, Julian Harvey, his face contorted in fury, came rushing out of the darkness. Get back there, he roared, shoving her down the stairs. Stupefied with terror, she retreated to her bunk. She could hear water sloshing on the deck and, quote, and thought the captain might be washing off the blood. Because she thought, like, she, end quote, she thought that, like, the swashing was, like, He's getting Cleaning. rid of the blood. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gradually, she became aware that the oily smelling water was rising from the floor and running into her room. All at once, Harvey, clutching what appeared to be a rifle, appeared in the doorway. For a long, terrifying moment, he looked at her without saying a word and then turned and headed up the stairway, leaving her in the darkness. Now, it is a wonder why he didn't shoot her, but it is possible that he had ran out of ammunition. Okay. So that's something that's questioned later, like... Why didn't, why he, didn't do he? Yeah, like he had he had shot the other ones. Like why didn't he do that? But not sure. I mean, did he have a moment of some kind of? I don't know because he just or? no. I think that at this at this point in time, when he discovers like her, the the ship is sinking. There is water oh. up to her mattress okay. in her room now. So he knew so she he's was gonna like die anyway. That's right, but he didn't and he shoot just her. leaves her in the darkness. It is complete completely dark. The water continued to rise until it was lapping off the top of her mac mattress. Now realizing that the ship is sinking, she climbed back to the cockpit. She spotted Julian Harvey and asked him if the ship was sinking. Yes, he shouted. He dove overboard and swam to the dinghy, which he had, had already cast loose. So he jumped off the sinking ship, swam to the dinghy, pulled himself up. So she's like, he just realizes, or she realizes this ship is going down. I'm by myself. She remembered that there was a flimsy cork raft that had like canvas webbing. It was only five feet long and 30 inches wide. She remembered that it was at the top of the main cabin. 
So she undid the knots. She managed to scramble onto the little float just as the bluebell went under. Oh my gosh, this is this poor girl. Can you imagine waking up to that? And I know. And she's yeah. like, is it sinking? Yeah. Right. See yep. ya. See ya. Here I go. She couldn't say why the ship sunk. You know, Harvey's whole explanation, they know that's not true, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't know what What happened happened. to the boat as to why it was sinking because it took her a little bit to even realize that it's sinking. She's a young child, you know. Contrary to what Julian Harvey had claimed, the mast was intact and there was no signs of a fire. The sea, she testified, was calm. So they know the that, squall yep, did not the happen. squall didn't happen. The mast was still intact. She knows that, and there was no fire. But she does not know how what happened. Yep, yep what how did. it was sinking. When she gave her statement, they're like, "Okay, this confirms it," because we were already suspicious of how this thing went down. It was no accident. It was a mass bur- murder. The Coast Guard actually officially put it like this: "Quote." A mass murder by a berserk man. No one really knows exactly what had happened because it was five days from when Terry Joe was plucked from the sea that she was able to give her testimony, mm-hmm. was strong enough to give her testimony. Three days after she was plucked from the sea, Julian Harvey had gone directly from the Coast Guard hearing, hearing room to the Sandman Hotel that was on Biscayne Boulevard and checked in under the name John Monroe. Sometime within the next 24 hours, he wrote a brief suicide note. Quote, I'm a nervous wreck and just can't continue. I'm going out now. I guess I either don't like life or don't know what to do with it. End quote. After appending a final wish for a burial at sea, he placed the letter on the center of the desk, pinned $10 to his pillow for the maid, and went into the bathroom where, with a double-edged razor blade, he cut his left thigh down to the bone. Oh. Then... uh took his own blood about the walls like a child finger painting, then slashed his ankles, wrists, forearms, and throat. Holy shit. And this was a quote from the book. So savage were the self-inflicted mutilations that police officers initially wondered if, if it had been wondered if it had been murder and a clumsy attempt to make it look like a suicide. Wow. I have never heard of someone doing this to themselves no. in such a brutal way. No. I did not I don't see even this know coming. how you like could. Holy cow. <laughs> this was a turn I was not expecting. Right? When I read that, I was like, I have to cover this case because I was expecting he shot himself in the head. Yeah, you okay? gave me. I, th- he hung I was. Himself. I mean, all right. It's not. It's, with how he was, I was expecting a faked suicide. That's what I thought. What we oh, were, good. Yeah. Anya. Yeah. Like, not even seeing this coming. Boy, that would have been right up his alley. And you gave me that, no heads up with this case, so I'm, I like, over here in some like kind of shock. Like, himself. Like, holy cow, that's so intense I mean, what to, he did. To first cut down your thigh to the bone. The bone? How <gasps> then do you continue? But then to take your own blood and do, and just like smear it? some artwork it? on the walls? Yeah. And then cut your own throat. Oh, my, I can't. But, you no, know, he cut his ankles, his forearms, and before he cut his own throat. Holy cow. What a brutal way to... Like, I don't even know how you still make your muscle when you're in that much pain work. No, I don't either. So struggling for an explanation, some friends insisted that he um, couldn't face life without his wife, Mary Danae. Okay. Guys. It's the sixth one. Right. Like, no offense, but... Not that she wasn't special, but... (laughs) He didn't really hang on to wives. That wasn't his forte. Yeah. Women weren't special to him. So, no... (laughs) 
Cross that one off the list. Yeah, not buying that one. Virtually every investigator believed, however, that his suicide was prompted by Terry Joe's rescue and his realization that the jig was finally up. I think they're on to something. Yep, that was the... That they, you know, realized everyone's going to know the monster that I've been hiding by my glamorous this yeah. whole life where this whole time was about to be exposed to the world. That theory gained even more cre- um, credence when detectives discovered that shortly before the Bluebell set sail, Harvey had taken out a $20,000 life insurance policy on Mary Denae. Oh, my gosh. Who's this still may- letting him take out life insurance right? policies? <laughs> How is he still doing this? Yes. Now, Harold Pegg owner remember he's the owner of the bluebell yes technically yes you know yeah harvey was the captain but he's the owner he testified that he had noticed deep scratches on harvey's right arm excuse me right hand and arm when he got back to miami and harvey claimed that they were wire cuts like from from whatever from when he was putting out the blaze you know harold pegg was like no i know fingernail scratches when i see them because i get them on my back all the time (laughs) sir he didn't really say the back thing. I was just I assuming. Did. Yeah, the Harold was like, "No, no, I know fingernail scratches. Uh-huh. Those are not wire scratches. Uh-huh. Those are from some fingernails." He also knew that Mary Denae had exceptionally long fingernails. Interesting. Mm-hmm. From all these facts, as Life Magazine reported, quote, more than one investigator came to the same conclusion that Harvey had set out to kill his wife by sudden impulse or careful plan had been surprised in the act by one of the Duperalts, and so he had to kill them all, end quote. In the last week of November 1961, Terry Joe was released from the hospital and flown back home to Green Bay to be raised by relatives. There was a misguided belief that the best way to deal with the disturbing emotions is to completely ignore them. Her guardians erected a wall of silence around her traumatic experience. Oh, no. Yeah. The Bluebell tragedy was never mentioned at home, <gasps> while friends, family members, neighbors, and teachers were instructed to avoid the subject. I know. The counselor in you, you are glaring I am at like, me right I'm now. I'm melting into mm-hmm. sorrow right now for yep. this little girl. You should have seen the way your eyes I went was, into slits. Like, how dare you tell I me do, that they it's did just, that? It hurts me so much to know what she went through Mm-hmm. Going home to no one. To nothing. To, We're to not going to talk about this. We're not going to talk about, about it. it. Mm-hmm. For Terry Joe, who eventually did change the um, spelling of her first name to T-E-R-E instead of T-E-R-R-Y. Mm-hmm. So more of a feminine version. Okay. Of yeah. The enforced denial resulted in years of emotional turmoil and a succession of marital crises. Thanks to her exceptional inner resources, however, the same strength of character that allowed her to survive the ordeal in the first place, she ultimately achieved a stable and fulfilling life. Oh, good. Okay. She was in the public eye again in 2010 with the publication of a memoir, Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean. She got to tell her story. She did. It was co-authored by psychologist Richard Logan. In this book, which received nationwide media coverage. This makes me a little teary I know. Terry Terry Joe reveals that in 1999, she agreed to undergo a psychological interview while under the influence of a sedative to try to bring out her long suppressed memories. Oh, okay. So basically they're like, we're going to give you a truth serum if you're okay with it and ask you questions so that maybe we could figure out oh, wow. how this ship sank and what really happened. She recalled certain details from that night that had never come out before, like the pajamas that her brother was wearing, the bloodied knife on the deck beside his body. But nothing that she could come up with shed any further light on the events of the so was there, slaughter. Excuse me. 
So there were no extra details that no. came out other than there what? were, but there no, nothing that helped the investigation to say. Gotcha. Um, so apparently they did did figure out that a knife was used on her brother to kill her brother, mm. whereas you know he had come in with a gun. So they had wondered if they had been shot first, like uh-huh. what that might be. She remembered her brother's pajamas because remember she only saw her brother and her mom. Yeah, she didn't see her dad Mm-mm. anywhere. Nope, or her other sister. Um, Renee, who he, who Harvey actually put in, well, yeah, and had in that dinghy with him, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. And said she was face down with the life jacket on. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, no, he drowned her, more than likely, and put a life jacket on her to make it look like that. More of a tragic, Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I tried to save her. Yeah, along with Harvey's motivation, another unanswerable question remains, which was first raised by the creator of the famous detective Perry Mason, do you know that? Oh, like yeah. the Perry Mason detective. Yeah. So the creator, Earl Stanley Gardner, was like, he did a whole article on this called The Case of the Bluebell's Last Voyage. And he wondered, he said that the mystery of the decade is how did little Terry Joe Duperall live through a murderous rampage? Why hadn't Julian Harvey shot her, bludgeoned her, or pushed her into the water without a life preserver? He had a perfect opportunity to, to destroy the last b- bit of evidence in his murderous acts. What made him leave the only living witness to his crime? Uh And that is kind of like the one unanswered question about this case is why? And I really believe with the way that she was up at the top of the ship and was like, is the ship sinking? And he's like, yep, deuces, and jumped overboard to get onto his thing. I firmly think that he just found it unnecessary to waste any more time because the ship is going down at this point in time. He's not going to waste any more time killing another person. Because she's just, she doesn't have a life preserver. She's mm-hmm. just going to die. I, I would go with that as well because it sounds like he just felt like it would take care of itself and right. just left her for dead. I don't know that there was any part of this man that wanted to get caught, really. I mean. No, definitely not. Because he, you know, he had obviously, his backup plan was to take his own life if he was ever going to get caught. He was never going to go to prison. And he wasn't playing around. No. Oh, my gosh. His quote, or not his quote, his um suicide note. I did find it interesting when he said, I guess I either don't like life or I don't know what to do with it. I kind of read that into like, perhaps that's why he was seemed so brave and was so willing to do all those pilot bomber missions because he's like, I really don't know what to do with my life and I don't really even know if I like it. So if I die here, I'll die a war hero. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. And he just happened to live through all of them. Or it's, and that kind of makes sense with all of these it's like he would create these chaotic situations. I mean, don't get me yeah. wrong. He wanted the life insurance money. Yeah. But he was constantly creating these, like, accident scenarios. Yeah. So it's like then he could somehow get the rush, the glorification. I don't know right. what it would be. But, but at the same token, it's like, well, I don't know a, what to do with life. Yeah, it doesn't so. have a value for his own life. So he's like, oh, if I go out like this, then okay. I don't know, isn't it? I'm still st- stuck on his suicide. Like, holy crap. I've never, <laughs> ever, ever heard of no one I'm like that not yeah. so like horrifically brutal to themselves and exactly. to be able to continue doing right. it to yourself if you oh my really gosh. I mean if you really think about from the moment of that first act all the way down to the bone on your thigh <sighs> and then to be able to continue that takes I mean don't you think that's more of a, a break a psychotic break to be I able to do so. that but I, I think it was just he wasn't going to let his reputation be destroyed but while he lived to see it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's crazy, right? It is. All right. So I decided since our Julian Harvey had six wives, 
why not find a brain bath that has to do with weddings? Seems pretty fitting. It turns out there are plenty of funny wedding stories out there. So I'm going to delight you with one titled The Runaway Bride, which is a little different than you may be thinking. Now, this was submitted... It's on thehuffpost.com, and it was wedding planners that were submitting their, like, the craziest thing they've ever seen while planning a wedding. Okay. So this is a quote from there. I had a bride who, on the day of her wedding, decided to take some Xanax, which would have been fine to calm her nerves. Sure. But then she decided to drink champagne all day with it. Oh. Well, it got her totally paranoid and crazy. She legit had me block her. While running through the middle of the garden, ducking behind trees, she's like, mind you, no one was around. Not even <gasps> vendors and staff. It was just the wedding planner and this girl. And she's I'm picturing her like military crawling. Me too. Or like being like, dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 dun. Just like going around all these trees. <laughs> like somersaults like, to yes, the next place. The next yes. One. <laughs> Then oh she gosh. made her way she she made her way through the ceremony okay but after the license was signed she locked herself in the bridal room her now husband mom and bridesmaids couldn't get her to open the door or come out we had to invite the guests inside and move forward with salads <laughs> here's your salads at this point i had to get the keys for the room and have it opened she eventually came out and the rest of the night went fine until the end of the night she was nowhere to be found. It turns out she had the catering manager give her a ride home. Oh, my gosh. From her own wedding. Wow. So I have a couple of friends getting married this summer. Please do not mix Xanax do with this. booze. Yeah, Xanax and booze is not a good no. combination. But I do want to see everyone ducking and weaving and avoiding oh, around trees when no one else is around. Can you Except imagine you and your wedding planner observing this like no, hours like, before gonna, a like, wedding? Right, and like, and you know, this isn't really you, but you have mixed things that clearly state. I think even on both bottles that you do yeah. not mix them yeah it's a it's a pretty well-known thing yeah in your or wedding should day be. oh I can't imagine what she must look like in the pictures too I wonder if she's like the paparazzi they're everywhere they're everywhere okay. <laughs> I want to see these pictures oh my gosh so she probably looks like really paranoid and you know suspicious in them or something yep yep oh yeah exactly eyes like, slanted looking yeah looking around looking all shifty eyed <laughs> everywhere or uh. probably like slightly drooling because that would probably make you so drowsy with I that would com- imagine. combination. Yes, exactly. I'm sure oh, she well. looked high or drunk as yes, hell. she had to have. So anyway, there's that. Feel free to follow us on sh- social media and like us and share us and tell all your friends about us or comment. All that stuff helps us. We'd appreciate it. And so much. Yes. Until then, keep it curious. Maybe stay off some yachts. Yeah. Remember, yacht not. <laughs> yacht not. And uh, yeah, until next time. Be careful time, guys. out there. Yeah, be, ca- be cautiously curious, yeah. as we like to say. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.